Welcome to The Recognition. My name is Neely. I'm here with Kaylee. Kaylee, up top. Here we go. Woo! If you heard that, that was a high five. This <laughs> is the 50th episode of The Recognition Podcast. Oh, what a labor of love the last 50 weeks has been. Uh, I could not help but notice we didn't do an intro. No, we didn't. So in the spirit of looking back and celebrating 50 episodes, what are some of your favorite intros? Yeah, there's... So many good ones. Honestly, the first one I think of is the very first one that you wrote. Yeah. That was a really good one. It like really set the dishes. tone for really solid intro monologues. Yes. I got made fun of for at least the first week after that came <laughs> out, um, where nobody believes that I'm grateful for washing dishes. But you get the point. We got it. Uh, I, I, you know, one of my favorites is uh, Straight Rivers. There are no straight rivers. I, we talked about that ahead of our uh, conversation with Germany Thompson. And um, anybody's history, their career path, their personal life. Uh, it's not as straightforward, black and white, uh, as maybe you would expect. Uh, it's just natural to bob and weave and move and, and, and take what the world gives you. So that was one of my favorites. Yeah, that was a really good one. I think another one that I really liked was there was one I did about positivity. And I remember it was a study about nuns. That was honestly just the most yeah mind boggling stats that if you have a positive mindset and that's how you live out your life you can actually extend the amount of years you live so yeah. that was a cool one too that's crazy yeah nuns and then you know monks are interesting as well did you know that pretzels were invented by monks really as well as kung fu wow yeah that's crazy that's pretty cool you know what actually this is the best one okay remember the one you wrote about boiling frogs oh boy no you don't okay well we we're listen? gonna have to play it for the people because okay, it was a solid okay one. let's listen now, I've never tried this before, but I've heard a tale of how to boil a frog. According to legend, you don't heat the water and then toss the frog in, it's just going to jump out. But if you start with the frog in the water, the heat can be turned up and the frog won't notice until it's dreadfully too late. Okay, so how is this relevant for us as HR and people leaders? Well, over the last several decades, the heat has been turned up on our employee frogs in the boiling pot of the modern workplace. The expectations of productivity, the long hours, the relentless onslaught of customer complaints in these last 18 months have been a reckoning, especially for those in the service industry. Those frogs are jumping out of the pot and reevaluating what work means to them. But there's good news. A recent poll showed that more than a quarter of employees who left their jobs in 21 are open to returning to their previous employer. They're willing to hop back in the water and give it another try, but this time with eyes wide open. So that puts the responsibility on you to ensure that the temperature in your pot is no longer cooking frogs. Well, we are lucky to welcome back Bodville uh, Brand CEO Brad DeRouge back into the podcast studio, sir. Welcome back. Great to be here. Believe it or not, uh, about a year ago, we hopped in this little room for the first time to record our first episode. And of course, uh, you are the special guest there to walk us through the history uh, of recognition. Uh, 2023, we're celebrating 40 years uh, of Bodville uh, being in business. So 
uh, I guess, top of the mind thoughts on the the previous year and then um, overall just the the history of the podcast thus far? Well, the podcast has certainly been fun to watch or maybe more appropriately listen to over the last year. Um, you know, that first episode, you know, you don't know what beginnings are going to create or, or what the, the long tail of those are going to be, but it's it's been a, a thrill to be a part of. And, uh, you know, like you said, as we march into our 40th year, I'm reminded here sitting back together how quickly a year can go. Uh, well, I haven't been here for all 40. Uh, the 20 some odd that I have, have have gone by on a blink, it feels like. And we're certainly excited to celebrate uh, 40 years here and uh, hopefully uh, create a vision for, for what the next, I don't know about 40, but the next <laughs> uh, uh, three to five, let's say, are going to look like and, and uh, you know, begin to enjoy that journey. Yeah, I'm excited to celebrate the 40 years too. And Thinking back on that first episode, I remember just how nervous I was getting in the studio, but we've grown so much. I think everyone that's come on the podcast and I really think that first episode set the scene for all of the episodes to come. It was that perfect laying out of the history of recognition and I think it was a great start. Well, that's being generous. Uh, certainly you and and Neely have... Uh... Uh, honed the craft of podcastery here, and it's and that's been uh, great to listen to. Um, but you know, one of my favorite aspects of of listening to this has been other team members who've gotten involved, kind of across the organization. Um, you know, just their stories and reflections and and journeys and how they've uh, you know expanded here and become a part of the fabric of our company and really what what has made that journey over forty years and and my little piece of it so much fun to be a part of. Awesome. Well, let's take a trip down memory lane. In the very first episode of the Recognition Podcast, here is the Recognition Revolution. So, Brad, I, I want to get into this a, a little bit. I obviously have plenty of experience in the recognition industry as a whole. Uh, you know, kind of growing up in the business, at least from a distance, seeing uh, the evolution there. You know, what we're obviously in a very interesting moment today uh, as a HR or people leader uh, of an organization. You know, wh where did we come from? Like, how did we get to this point? And I I'm guess I'm taking a longer play here. You know, where did this idea of employee recognition get its roots? Uh, and I'm not saying a, a first person account necessarily, but give us sort of the, the picture of, you know, 80s, 90s coming up. Uh, you know, we have these long tenured employees that are so proud of, you know, their 50-year watch uh, as, a, as an award for their service, people that are retiring with the same companies that they started with. Clearly a very different relationship that employees had with their organizations back then to what we see now. Can you just walk through a couple of maybe milestone moments or, you know, an overall evolution of that relationship uh, over the last couple of years? Yeah, over the last few decades, I guess. I mean, I think that the... Um the the confluence of two sort of uh, of the early aspects of recognition were certainly that which you mentioned long years of service programs that have existed for for a long time and pre-existed us uh, those programs were generally milestone anniversary programs 5 10 15 year programs uh, that were I think uh, amplified by our federal government when they uh, supported uh, the gift gifting to employees through 274J, a tax law that provided uh, tax benefit to companies to provide that recognition. So I think that really 
um, as the government can do sometimes, uh, uh, do good and have you know, one stroke of the pen have a big impact. Uh, it did with our industry and 274J, I think, created and helped create um, an awareness and an opportunity for organizations to do something that maybe they were already motivated to do, maybe some organizations were already doing, but I think for larger organizations created an opportunity where they could uh, give appreciation with uh, with not as much epic economic impact to the company. And um, so that was, um, you know, I think that was, uh, I can't speak to exactly when that legislation was passed, but call it late 70s, early 80s, that really, I think, started the industry to some degree that we see today. I think the other uh, aspect of recognition that's that's also merged with that was really sales incentive programs and the types of programs that uh, organizations have used probably prior to, to even these years of service programs to try to motivate and incentivize sales behavior. And so those manifested in, in reward trips and travel and a lot of different things that were um, you know, obviously commissions and bonuses and those things, but also tangible rewards for achievement. The, the uh, you know, the automotive space and rings and watches and, you know, whether it, different industries had different incentive programs. And so I think those those two uh, seeds of our industry were were kind of the, the, the foundation for what you see today. For us, our entree entre into, uh, into the recognition space was through the education market. And so our software product that we released in the uh, mid to late 80s uh, award maker was largely a product that was designed and developed to support the, the education industry. And uh, of course, we've all hopefully been through school and we've uh, received a, an award or a certi certificate or whether that was for participation or hopefully in the case of uh, obviously you two honor roll or academic achievement. Um, you know, that's where we really entered the, uh, the recognition space, not so much as an employee recognition company, but a student recognition company and evolved from there. And, and uh, you know, it was obviously a natural progression to the organizations were doing some of those same things too um, and moved from paper and printed awards to, uh, you know, the tangible gifts and, and recognition products that, that the Baudville brand is, has been known for for many, many years. So, um, you know, fast forward, what is what are some of the other um, you know, uh, points along that road of how this industry has evolved and at least how we've observed it evolve. Uh, you know, recognition, you know, those, those types of programs that I mentioned um, were, had an economic benefit and were, you know, the numbers behind them were pretty um, evident and, and, a, and easy to cost justify. I think more day-to-day -day recognition, peer-to-peer -peer recognition, um, I think in the 80s and 90s, that was considered kind of fluffy. It was very uh, manager dependent, uh, HR dependent, you know, culture dependent. Certain organizations did some of that stuff. Others totally uh, avoided it entirely, didn't find it culturally uh, relevant for them. Uh, and I think that uh, that became, went from sort of fluff to a nice to have. Uh, and I think the, the, at least from my observation, one of the turning points was the light that was shined on uh, companies like Google as they began to add uh, new benefits and um, create this vernacular that is this great place to work. What is it to be a great place to work? And of course, the Great Place to Work Institute uh, had a role in that. Fortune Magazine and their 100 Great, great Places to Work that uh, started to bring that more, I think, into the 
I guess, public business consciousness that there was this connection between being a great culture and appreciating your employees and performance of the company. And I think one of the things that Fortune magazine did in the early days was, you know, they would study the performance of the public companies on that hundred company list. And, you know, they would show you year after year after year, there was a huge difference between uh, the performance of those companies compared to the rest of the S&P. And so it started to create that, that business case for uh, the value of being a great workplace. And I think that, um, you know, I don't know that was a tipping point, but it was certainly a um, a change in uh, sort of C-suite thinking about how, okay, yeah, there's wages and there's benefits and then there's this other stuff. And so the other stuff started to get more attention, I think, as, um, you know, the cultural differences in organizations and were started began to be highlighted more, and and I think that started in the early two thousands with um, some of those some of those tech companies that became kind of media darlings, and a lot of those, you know, uh, cushy benefits were were sort of uh, um, you know the the word of those was spread wide and far. Mr. Bishop, just dazzling outfit today with the what is that? Is that leather? Not a leather, leather vest? What is what? I, I like it. It's just a vest. It's just a vest. Okay. Yeah. Fun texture. Right. Very humble. I love this. <laughs> just a vest. Yeah. So we're here <laughs> in the building with Mr. Andrew Bishop, president of Recognition. Uh, hey, just want to get your you know hot take real quick. Uh, it's been fifty episodes of the podcast, and you know, um, curious like, what have you heard? What's the noise around the impact uh, of the podcast, and especially your experience uh, joining and listening? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to start out by first recognizing you guys 50 episodes congrats that's exciting uh do you guys look back on like episode number one and then listen all the way through and just look at the progression i mean it's it's pretty remarkable Mm -hmm. um you know think about probably a little over a year ago maybe nearly you had a slight vision for the podcast uh kind of starting and kicking off but not something that we were talking about at large to now think about recording the 50th episode yeah. uh, is it's really remarkable. Um, I, I'd like to just start out by thanking all of our guests. I mean, we've had lots of external guests contribute to this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been just as humbling as um, as the stats of all the, the reach, the downloads. The, For sure. Uh, it, it's been one heck of a journey. Uh, I, you know, I'm proud of both of you. Uh, I love listening uh, to you and, and see your personalities come to life uh, through uh, the podcast. And, and it's just, it's been one heck of a journey. There's been so much great content. And uh, probably my favorite is is just all of the guests that we've had on. Agreed. It's crazy, all the people that want to come and talk to us. But I like it. It is. It, it is. <laughs> but imagine like all the stories that we would not have known uh, had we not, you know, engaged in, in that conversation. So it's just, it, it's awesome. Yeah, I think my favorite part of going back to each episode and listening was also just how much we learned. I actually can't believe all of the different topics we've covered and personally how many takeaways I've had from all of our episodes. Yeah, I would say hopefully all the listeners are in the same boat. Like, oh, <laughs> man, uh, how much we learned. So, uh, you know, uh, Andrew, we wanted to go back and uh, listen into uh, one of your first podcasts, which was Recognition Fallacies. So yeah. I know 
Uh, this is uh, a, a point of emphasis for you, uh, especially in your onboarding training. I know we've got some social content from a couple of years ago as well. Um, so just, you know, we'll, we'll play a, a couple of minutes from that uh, as well. But like how important and meaningful is that concept of writing maybe some misconceptions uh, of recognition as just a starting point to understand what kind of impact we can have through recognition? Yeah, I, I think it's such a critical first step. Uh, I mean... I think even for me, there's a lot of misnomers uh, associated with recognition, uh, which limits the reach and frequency and really the impact that it can have. Um, you know, prior to coming to work for Baudville Brands and recognition, uh, I, I didn't know enough about this topic. It was probably a, a blind spot of mine in my leadership journey which is why I'm so passionate about speaking uh, about it today and, and creating that awareness and, and getting um, you know, more information uh, about the importance and value and impact that recognition has. And, and the fact that it's not just a nice to have, it's not just something that your employees need to feel good. It's actually, it's essential. It's essential to every thriving relationship we have both in our personal and our professional lives. And, um, it's a topic that needs to be talked about in the workplace more often uh, so that leaders can truly understand the benefits, the impact, and, and how it will propel not only your relationships further, but your team members' performance further and beyond, uh, which is why, why it's such an important topic. Agree. Okay. Let's dive in and, and listen back to Recognition Fallacies with Andrew Bishop. Hey, we uh, have a very special guest with us today, uh, Andrew Bishop, the general manager of Recognition. Uh, nearly a decade of experience in the reward and recognition space, has been on countless stages, uh, giving countless TED Talks, uh, really a, a true influencer in the space. Andrew Bishop, how are you today, sir? I'm great. How are you, Neely? I'm just, I'm, I'm awesome. Uh, you know, I will say uh, Andrew's been an incredible influence on my life. Uh, I have purchased more vests in the last 12 months uh, than I think any person should uh, be willing to admit. Uh, so thank you, not only for your influence in the recognition space, but truly as a, as a style aficionado that has an impact on people everywhere. So thank you again for that. I, I do love a good vest. That. I have noticed that trend here since Kaylee, I started working. do you working. have a vest? I have one vest. I think I'm going to need you to gotta, invest in more. You got to get those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers. We need more vests uh, at Recognition. So, hey, I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. I, I know there's plenty that we could talk about. Uh, today, we're going to focus on some recognition fallacies. Uh, so a couple of thoughts uh, of maybe some misconceptions in this area. Uh, we talk a little bit about the realities and then, you know, hopefully some uh, advice for those people that are either working through this in their personal lives or in their organization or trying to drive uh, more of a, of a culture of recognition and gratitude and appreciation, connection, all those good things, uh, but are just kind of stuck and running up against some resistance uh, uh, when it comes to some of these topics. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, me too. This is one of my favorite topics to get into uh, because I, I think there are too many fallacies associated with recognition, which limits the amount of frequency um, of recognition within the workplace. And and ultimately, uh, I would love to see more organizations truly establish and adopt a culture of recognition, appreciation, feedback, and gratitude within their workplaces. 
I could not agree more with you, Andrew. I also want the same thing for us and all of the other people leaders out there listening to us and their organizations. So diving right into that first fallacy, which is that recognition is just it's just a bunch of fluffy feel-good sentiments that don't actually have an impact on organizations and helping teams move forward in a positive way. So what is the reality? You know, the reality is, and I think it's actually rooted in the definition of recognition, which is an after-the-fact display of appreciation. You know, what recognition truly is, is uh, the most positive form of feedback that you can provide. You know, it's a true expression of gratitude. And so I like to challenge that fallacy with asking people to think about a thriving relationship that they have. And can you point out or think of a, a thriving relationship in which feedback, expression of gratitude, and expression of appreciation towards another individual is not present in that relationship. And I think if you, you think of those thriving relationships, it's hard to find one where gratitude, appreciation, and expression of that is not present. And, and so for me, you know, recognition is not a nice to have. It's, it's not fluffy, feel-good sentiments. Recognition is a catalyst to feeling uh, high-performing and effective relationships in all aspects of life, both professionally and personally. Um, you know, it, it, it's mission critical to building relationships and, and strengthening a connection with someone. Okay, Kaylee. So I don't want to brag, but I did find our first non-Bodville Brands mm -hmm. person to join us on the podcast. You did. Good old John Brickner. Uh, and there's some funny stories associated with this episode. We were still new to the game, right? We're <laughs> basically in our own house talking to our own family. Yep. And then it could have been nerves. It could have been coincidence or it could have just been we still kind of didn't know what we were doing. We actually recorded an entire conversation with John and then immediately deleted it on yep. accident and had John <laughs> come back. So what you heard and what we're going to listen back to is actually the second time we talked to John, uh, who is from Steelcase. Um, just incredibly smart, talented guy. Uh, they're doing really crazy things uh, up at Steelcase with their employee experience. Um, and, you know, I, I think that it was definitely a giant leap for us as far as, you know, being a little bit more prepared and how to have a conversation with somebody, you know, outside our four walls. Um, but overall, just when I go back in time and think about that conversation, it, I was kind of looking up a tall mountain, right? Like, yeah. oh my gosh, this is going to be what it's going to be like um, moving forward with external guests. Yeah, I actually think that it was a blessing in disguise that we accidentally deleted and had to re-record. I think we were all nervous for the first external and it ended up being even better. Um, and I agree, it was great to actually have some of these concrete tools for HR leaders coming from John Brickner instead of just us within our walls. So. For sure. Okay, let's listen back to John Brickner. We're here with John Brickner from Steelcase. He is in the employee experience department at Steelcase. Am I saying that correctly? I'm part of the Talent Futures group. Talent and Futures. And an employee experience designer. So it's my job to bring together the people, technology, and business aspects to build better experiences. Because Look at this. when we build better experiences, that shapes behavior, which shapes results. That's awesome. 
Uh, yeah, John, you and I go way back, have some shared experiences and obviously diverted past. I'm so glad that you, you've been willing to come in and have this chat. Um, I think, you know, a lot of folks that are listening uh, wouldn't even imagine their company having a dedicated employee experience design job responsibility at all. So uh, I think some of the things that you have to share uh, with us will be very insightful uh, and educational and helpful. Um you are after my own heart. You came prepared with a list. Uh, so, uh, so do you mind just giving an overview of, of what we're going to walk through today? Absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned the experience design. I never, when I first studied this in, gosh, I think it was 2007, I got my certificate in organizational creativity from the Disney Institute. That's where I first got exposure to this idea of human-centered design. And I was so excited about it. It was so applicable in the operations realm. And I thought, gosh, there's so much. This is HR, you know. And and now you got all the major consulting firms saying you need it. You need this skill in your HR. So HR is certainly moving uh, from being sort of most recently integrators to architects. Um, it's really it's our job to architect great experiences around our user, which is our employee. And, and employees are different. There's different segments, etc. So I guess all that to say. Uh, I've worked for big corporations. I've worked for small businesses and um, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs that are wearing many hats. So this is something that it really can be accessible to everyone. So I like to try to make whatever content um, I'm putting out there relevant to to anyone. And so I think there are five skills in, that HR professionals need in 2022. So this isn't about the CHRO. This isn't about, you know, this could be your director of operations, it could be, you know, anyone that has the people responsibility. What do they need in 2022? That's awesome. Let's dig in. All right. Well, number one is to help yourself and employees adapt to the hybrid workplace. So we hybrid work is is here. It's here to stay. I think we know that. We've seen productivity go up as, as people went home. Um, and getting those people back into the office, if that is uh, an objective, is you're going to have to earn the commute, right? And as HR professionals, you, you know, walking around will feel different, right? There, people aren't going to be, you know, depending on your employee segment, you're not going to be able to walk by everybody every, every day. So there's a lot of implications to that. And so, you know, things like braiding the, 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 the digital and the physical are going to become really important being very clear, there's a, there is a great um, framework that was put out there by, by Josh Burson and Deloitte uh, around rules, tools, norms, and culture. You know, how do you, how do you um, make it easy for people to get onto technology if it's their job to do that every day? Uh, what tools do you use for what? So should I be posting my meme in the project chat? Um, you know, or is there a digital break room or... Uh, some kind of channel like that where it's more appropriate to do that. And then, especially as people join in a hybrid world, I think it's it's really easy to, to jump right into the task and, and miss a whole lot about who they are and what they contribute to the team. So taking the time to step back and integrate and sort of immerse, say, hey, this is, uh, this is Jose. This is what he's bringing to the team. This is what really excited me about him. And, uh, and this is how he's going to help uh, shape and, and guide and, and make this team better. So really taking the time to step back, integrate people who might be sitting um, in different time zones or, and really making sure that 
that collaboration is set up right from the beginning. Yeah, I think there's two things I want to dive in on on this. Even just your first point is awesome. Um, earn the commute, I think, is such an awesome statement. Um, you know, we've kind of proven over the last couple of years that it is possible to be productive in this environment. And, you you know, something needs to be attractive to bring me into the office to, you know, sacrifice that, you know, hour or so of productivity that is in the car getting into the office and all the logistics that come into well, from parking lot to desk, all the, all those things, right, where previously it's like it's just part of the job. But now it, it could also be considered like, you know, time's a ticking, right? So um, earning the commute, what are things that um, either you've seen or heard or, or read about uh, that organizations are doing sort of to try to bring more people back into the office? So restrictions are lifted. Now it's just a matter of convincing that the office is a better work environment than, you know, staying mm -hmm. home at your home office. Yeah. I, you know, I, I work for Steelcase now. So one of the things we did is, is called Back to Better. And we knew that the, the space that they left couldn't be the space that they returned to. Um, and there was, you know, there was lots of things that were tried. There were some things that were failed. So, for example, amenities, right? When people are starting to come back, we woefully underestimated the amount of food and coffee and everything that people would need. Um, and, and so that was a quick learn and, and, and a, a quick shift to be able to, to kind of right-size that. that. Um, but most importantly, people are used to, uh, the the latest research from Steelcase indicates that surprisingly, most people during the pandemic uh, developed a dedicated space in which to work, right? And they got used to that, that privacy um, and... So as they come back in, space really matters and they need a range of spaces. So they want to come in to collaborate. There's no doubt about that. But that open office environment, people want choice and control now. So they want that quiet space where they can focus um, or have semi-private space. So privacy is sort of as important as collaboration. So, Neely. Yes. Remember the five languages of appreciation. Yes. In the workplace. That was, I think, I must say, one of our best solo episodes, just us. Yeah, for sure. It definitely um, was our most popular solo episode, and it was a really fun one. I It originated with me kind of doing some research and trying to figure out how can these five love languages um, kind of be remixed a little bit and turned into languages of appreciation in the workplace. And this started as a podcast episode, but it kind of morphed into a lot of other things. It became a blog on our site. It's now an official white paper um, that you can also download. And it's even something that has kind of been a piece that we ideate around for developing new ways with our product team on how we can appreciate employees in the workplace. Yeah. So, you know, definitely the, the start of a big idea there. Also, I got the most hilarious feedback after this episode um and it was how our personalities fit together interesting yeah it was that um yeah, like the first couple of episodes like i kind of didn't know where it was going <laughs> like is this really gonna work and then like this one was like yeah okay now now we can see it all coming together maybe that's just us getting more comfortable yeah behind the sure. mic but uh, i think i even start off this clip uh, a little awkwardly but like just the awkwardness that is neil <laughs> um just present so uh here are the five languages of appreciation in the workplace awards awards yeah so this one um i think I see it split up into two different ways you can go here. So you have the types of awards that you're nominated for. 
um, whether that's like a daily uh, ICU exhibiting our value of responsiveness um, and explaining why or like a yearly you know, I'm going to nominate you for a luminary award, the prestigious yearly award because of all these, you know, listing a ton of different reasons. I think that's one way to show people why you're thankful for them. Um, You're listing out, you know, taking the time to think about all the reasons you're thankful and listing it out and awarding them in a certain way. And then I think that the other form of awards comes down to those service anniversaries. So, truly celebrating those milestones every single year, not letting those go by unnoticed and really thanking someone for their loyalty and their years of service. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, two things that we're showing appreciation for. One would be performance within a given time period and the other one would be tenure, which is, you know, sticking with us uh, for a long time. So, you know, again, we, we talk about some of, you know, the traditional programs being solely focused uh, on this this awards component. We've talked about the other uh, languages here that are useful and impactful for individuals. But, you know, there's still people that are gunning for that award. They're gunning for that employee of the month. They're going for that top sales position. Um, and they like to be recognized and walk across the stage and shake that hand and, and, and get that trophy. So uh, awards still a valuable piece of an overall um program to show appreciation for employees five pleasant surprises i'm glad that this came up because kaylee i actually have something for you no way yeah you're right okay (laughs) i think this one is is almost um it's almost the second cheapest behind uh words of praise it and it's more like the random something right so if it's the the random like bag of chips or if it's the random sticky note or if it's the random gif in the middle of the day like it just it's uh, the surprises uh where they're not expecting it uh where like even if it's sent digitally or something like you just you light up for some reason you don't know why uh, i think that just it triggers something else in that brain where it's like not even on your radar of things that i'm doing that should be recognized and i get something for it so i think this is a fun one and definitely something that i enjoy Me too. I think those little just almost shots of serotonin throughout the day um, that you're not expecting, whether like you said, it's a funny gif or someone writes you a little handwritten note or even just says, do you want to have lunch with me today? Um, I think those little surprises are something that bring a lot of unexpected happiness to the workplace. Yeah. And we've talked about, um, you know, in a hybrid or a remote situation, you're kind of just bouncing from one meeting to the next. And even in most corporate situations, it's kind of like you're meeting driven and you kind of have this rhythm that you're in. So definitely anything that is interrupting that in a positive way to show appreciation is, is clearly going to stand out and will be impactful for that person. So definitely not one to sleep on the pleasant surprises. Hi, Trisha. Welcome back to the podcast studio. Hi, Kaylee. So now that we are reflecting on the last year of episodes here, I just want to hear your thoughts on what it's been like to listen as an HR leader, as well as join us a couple times on the podcast. What has that experience been like? Oh, good question. I I love listening to the podcast. Um, you know, obviously, maybe because I have a little bit more ties than most to our, our lovely podcasters here um, and people that come in. But I, I love um, I love the connection that we that we make uh, within these walls and the, in the conversations. Um, 
if anything, I'm usually wanting to dive a little deeper into whatever is the conversation that's happening. And I'm wanting the podcast to go longer, which is funny. Um, but I, I feel like I sometimes follow up with Neely and say like, oh, I, I wish we had asked this question or, you know, I wonder what their thoughts were on this. So I, I love to listen to it. it. It's interesting to me. And and also because I can probably follow up with people afterwards if I have, you know, questions or uh, want to pick their brain a little bit more on maybe the, the topic they were talking about. So it's great for me. I really in, enjoy listening to it on my way home or when I'm doing laundry or whatever I'm doing. It, it's been great to hear. For sure. Hopefully we can continue to deep dive into all those different topics and we'll just have to have you on more so you can ask those specific questions that you have. Um, when I think about our episodes with you in the past, one that comes to my mind as a favorite is the Mario Kart one. Do you remember when we talked about Yoshi on a scooter? I do. Nearly. That was a pretty great analogy that you had yeah, there. You know, and I just can't put a finger on how these <laughs> ideas come into my head, but Mario Kart's kind of constantly on in the background. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, you know, kind of ran into that analogy as we were talking about, you know, the performance bell curve, how some employees are kind of high flyers, not really in need of recognition because they're already sort of self-starters and self-motivated versus, you know, the majority of your workforce is kind of, you know, contributing at a, you know, a B plus level. So that's really where the recognition would amplify, uh, you know, their behavior too. So uh, I just, I just love, I, you probably bring it out of me, Trisha, because you're such <laughs> a powerhouse in HR. And I, I got to say, I got to say, I don't know about that. Uh, of all of the HR people that I've had to talk to in previous roles, you're my favorite. Aww. <laughs> Mostly well, because you. I, you know. Because I let you win at Mario Kart when we played here. I'm not sure that you let me win. I think <laughs> that that just happened. Um, but I, I think we're, we're making, um, you know, we're bringing, in my mind, uh, a different style and energy and vibe to the HR profession as a whole. I think an eye-opening experience for me in the last year was actually going on the road to some trade shows, getting to know some people, see them quote unquote in the wild. Like, um, it, it really humanizes people that have a really tough job, a really demanding job, uh, that is constant and nonstop, uh, and very demanding. So, um, I just, I appreciate the role that you play in opening our eyes and, and you know, diving into certain topics and areas of focus. Uh, but then also like going out and, and seeing all your friends, seeing your tribe. Right. Mm -hmm. And then also mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, the other tribes that exist out there like, Oh my gosh, they're, uh, this is a real thing. So, um, Without any further rambling, thank you, Trisha, for the last 50 episodes. Looking forward to the next 50. And here is Yoshi on a scooter. So I'm going to make you very happy, um, Andrew. I'm uh, As I'm sitting here listening to you, and I'm happy to be a fly on the wall in, in this conversation, um, I have an analogy. Ooh, I love analogies. I know. So um, uh, as I'm thinking about this, it is striking me that this traditional approach has leveraged the scarcity of an award for a top performer as a way to drive people to work harder and chase after that, you know, first, second place kind of medal. Some people are wired to do that, are naturally competitive and will be motivated and will will chase after that thing. As we're talking about, the vast majority of people in an organization are not wired like that. So here's the analogy. Um, Mario Kart. Do y'all play Mario Kart? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Love Mario Kart. So Mario Kart, um, you know, old school Mario Kart, like 64, those kind of things. It, it There's there's a lot of uh, equity, right? So if you're in first place, they're going to slow you down so everybody can catch up. That's why my six-year-old beats me 
all the time. But unlike the new, like the Switch version, there are combinations that are faster than the other ones, right? So Yoshi on a scooter, the next time you're doing it, Yoshi on a scooter is going to be the fastest car, right? So that top 10% is Yoshi on a scooter, okay? They can fly through with no items, with no anything, and will just be naturally faster than the rest of the cars in the field. What we're talking about is by regularly engaging in that middle 80% and by motivating them on a more frequent, regular basis, those are the red and yellow speed strips that they hit that keeps them and is pushing them to be close to, if not as fast, as your top performers. So as a way to elevate the entire organization, can we put more opportunities for red and yellow speed strips for that middle 80% that is keeping them up and almost elevating the entire level of performance for your organization rather than depending on the scarcity of that gold cup to be the motivating factor for everybody in the race. Did, I do, did I do good? Okay. Yeah. yeah I, yes. I like it. Okay. So yes. And then, and then each of those cars have a GPS and then like what? Well, and, no, and, and if we know that, that, that ideal a player, right. Is Yoshi on a scooter. Well, what if we can just, help amplify other individuals why well they may never be yoshi it doesn't mean that they can't get on yoshi's scooter to elevate their performance right so uh, yoshi on a scooter is the the pinnacle but but if we get princess on a scooter well princess on a scooter is going to be fast faster than princess on fill in the blank you know vehicle and and that's what we're trying to do here we're just trying to help everybody's uh, elevate everybody's experience, elevate everybody's effort and engagement level. And, and when you can do that, and we talk about incrementality again, that rising tide starts to raise all ships where you got to now, it, it, it's a new level of conviction. There's a new level of energy that transcends the organization. Everybody has a little bit more pep in their step, is responding to customers in a, in a better way. And next thing you know, you're you're really starting to unlock the chains that are ho- holding that culture or, or that organization back in, in, in a completely different way. Mr. Steve Heisinger, thank you for joining us again in the Recognition Podcast booth. My pleasure. Uh, first of all, love the hoodie over the blazer look. <laughs> also, those shoes. The shoes Did you see are those something shoes? Fa- we got to post a picture yeah, of these shoes. That's actually Good they're floral. Night. That's the coolest shoes I've ever seen. Okay. <laughs> man you just in so many ways just inspire people uh we are obviously working through our top 10 episodes from 2022 i have to say um sharing your story uh and the impact that you're having from what you might consider your little organization in a little area of the world of west michigan um in the areas of being intentional about giving people opportunities to realize their potential and contribute in meaningful ways. Um, had an incredible impact on listeners like that got serious feedback. Um, and we caught you at a pretty high point, uh, in that journey, uh, in your personal journey. So first of all, I just want to thank you for even entertaining that idea to come and talk to our little fledgling podcast, but also to check in on you and, and how you're doing. And, and if there's any reflections on, on that experience of, of our first conversation. So I've done, I, I will say, you know, I loved the questions you guys asked. They were spot on. Um, I will say I've done numerous podcasts. I will say you guys is, has been the easiest to do. Yes. Heck yeah. Um, it's been the most laid back. It's been the most relaxing. Um, I will say like it's, and you guys asked the right questions 
you asked hard questions. Um, you asked things that a lot of you push topics that not a lot of people want to necessarily address or talk about. And I really appreciated just being able to share my personal story and then mix in with how my personal story has um, shaped and formed my leadership style and what I did while I was at Allied and what I'm now doing now at my new venture of Freedom Construction. We appreciate that, Steve. And I have to say, like for weeks after that episode, if anyone brought up the podcast or if I brought up the podcast to a stranger, I said, you at least got to listen to this episode. Like here's the Steve Heisinger episode. It's a must listen. So oh, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for coming in. The Disruptor with Incredible Style. Here is our episode with Steve Heisinger. So the Delta Project is an organization that the goal is to break the generational cycle of incarceration. So they help young men and youth of color mainly through storytelling, mentoring, coaching. And one of the foundational elements that is kind of the, the big question that they were founded on was one of the boys asked, how do I become something that I don't see? So I think that's such an incredible question when you're talking about, you know, people that are coming out of recovering from addiction that are coming out of prison, even refugees that are like, how, I guess, how do you help employees become something they don't see? How do you inspire people that are just kind of deemed throwaway people? You know, I don't do it. It's not me. It's our people that do it. So yesterday, it's funny, the timing of this yesterday, we had a young lady start, not young. And that was an interesting story too. But um, she started, was hired out of Huron, Huron Valley, so the only women's prison in the unit, in the state of Michigan. When I interviewed her, because I like to interview every single one when we go there, so we go to the prisons, walk in, and then interview. Her exact words were when we were speaking to her were, "I'm not employable." She said, "I was a prostitute, I was a meth addict, and I have no skills that could be used in your business." And that's the way she feels about herself. And that just hit me. I thought, you know, she is employable. And I told her, because of those things, I think you're more employable to me. Like, my heart just says, yes, you're hired. We hired her. She started yesterday. Um, I went and checked in with my foreman. I said, hey, how did she do? And he looked at me and said, Steve, that's the best first day I've ever had from somebody. And just the joy in her face was priceless. I mean, it's it's... Doing stuff like that is why we do what we do. That reaction, like just seeing the joy on her face. Now back to, so what we do then is we show, we have a lot of success stories. So somebody comes in who is out of prison, we'll say, hey, you may have done this, but look where he or she's at. Um, so that's what we try to do. If we bring in another refugee, look, that's yes, this seems like a huge uphill. Like you don't know how you're going to get there, but look at Mohammed. Or a female who says, there's no way I can do the trades. Well, look at this young lady. She's, I got a couple ladies that for sure are going to be leaders in our business in the field. And we even do that with our office staff. I mean, we, if you look at our organization, there's a lot of females in leadership, which in the construction industry, you know, that's, that, that's even rare. So Andrew, I think one of my favorite guests uh, was Steve Brown. Uh, mostly because of the story of how we all came connected. So do you mind just uh, the quick overview of uh, how we ran into Steve and how that relationship has progressed uh, since last year? Yeah. Um, so Steve and I actually randomly were assigned seats next to each other on a, 
a flight uh, from Minneapolis down to New Orleans for Sherm. So just a random coincidence of uh, uh, a stranger uh, before the flight that I was sitting next to. We made a common connection in the fact that we were both going to New Orleans for National Sherm on the flight. But beyond that, we, we just kind of hit it off, talked about a variety of different topics, talked about family, talk, talked about what it was uh, our businesses uh, do, really established the, the connection of our love for people, uh, our love for the HR industry, our, our love for culture and engagement. And, um, you know, how, how do you make team members feel more valued and connected to their workplaces? Um, you know, we, we talked about the books that he's written, um, talked about maybe some of my aspirations to write a book uh, at, at some point in the future. And really, it, 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 it was one of those plane rides. I, I think it's probably a two and a half hour to three hour flight that felt like it went by in just five minutes. Um, you know, later he stopped by our trade show booth. He got to meet our team and the relationship has really blossomed from there. We, we had him on as a podcast guest. He got us involved in Ohio Sherm. Um, you know, we continue to stay connected and have had touch points. I, I know we'll have an elevated presence at Ohio Sherm again this year. And, uh, I hope to bring him back on, uh, the podcast uh, again in the year ahead. But, uh, yeah, Steve's an amazing guy, lots of great content, certainly an inspiring thought leader within uh, the HR community and space, um, and, and someone uh, that I am fortunate that we have you know, started the connection with and, and get to uh, blossom, uh, hopefully, a longstanding relationship from here. I agree. Steve is quite an amazing man. Now, here is Steve Brown's episode. Isn't that kind of the heart of connection. And I know, Neely, you wanted to talk about the power of connection today. Um, and, and as uh, I thought about this topic, I was thinking about what, what are the foundational elements for human connection? Like what has to happen in a conversation, even just a short plane walk ride for a genuine connection uh, to form, and, and I think you hit on it already a little bit, uh, Steve, like one of the first things I, I came up with is there, there has to be an aspect of being genuine, genuinely curious about the other individual, like for a connection to form, like you can't just ask a question and tune out. I, I think there has to be this genuine notion of just curiosity there. And then I think another profound aspect of it is being truly present, like truly committed in the moment and being and present there f for that other individual. And it, it's kind of like, I hear you, I see you. And it, it, it's, it takes it from both sides, but that was certainly something I felt from Steve right from the get-go was that he was present in the conversation and he was genuinely curious. And, and I wanted to be that back for him, but... From there, uh, the foundation kind of spins off. I, I don't know if you got if you have a different take on on that, Steve. If you think about the power of a connection, or what's at the base of this, what's at the base of a human connection? What what are some of those criteria that need to be present for that? I think you hit it right on the head. Here's the thing that I've learned, and I learned this from my parents. Uh, if you met my mom and dad, when they meet you. They want to know something about you. And the next time they see you, they will remember that thing about you. They may not even remember your name, but they'll know, hey, how's the crops going out at your farm? Or how are the sheep going? Did you have any, you know, any lambs? And they want to know. 
And that person will be, jump through, regardless of their background, regardless of their education, regardless of their uh, upbringing. <clears throat> when I go to my pizzerias, I'll see uh, 16-year-olds, and 16-year-olds aren't thinking about work. Uh, and, you know, all, we're th- all our managers think about is get to work, be on schedule, do your job. I went to one of our pizzerias, I met a cook, and I said, hi, I'm Steve, and I never wear a La Rosa shirt when I go anywhere. I just wear a shirt. And then I wondered, they go, who's this tall, creepy guy in the kitchen? But no one ever stops me. <laughs> and then when I met him, I was like, so tell me about yourself. And he tells me, and he says, I'm studying to be a chef. Now, here's a 16-year-old going to school, and he wants to be a chef. He's going to vocational school. I'm like, this is cool. Well, you're cooking. Way to go. You're on your way. And he said, so when I come back, I want to see how that's going. So after he finished two years and graduated, I said, where are we going? Because, oh, I'm going to be a chef at this one place. The general manager never asked him, not once, not once. He was more interested in talking to some goofy, tall guy about what he's doing in his life. And he stayed his entire two years because someone paid attention to him. Uh, It's missing. It's missing every day. We walk by thousands of people in order to get the things that we think are important when all thousand people that we could have connected with would have been a better use of our time. Hi, Cassandra. Hi, Kaylee. How are you? Great. How are you? Good. Good. I was listening back to the wonderful episode we had together, and I just wanted to kind of get your reaction. What was that experience like recording the podcast and kind of combining your past career with your current one? Yeah. Um, what I got out of that experience was a lot different than what I thought it was going to be. Uh, in the recognition space, I think education is an industry that has a long ways to come. And um, in some ways, I think, I guess I'll just say I get asked quite often while well, going from education to um, sales or account management, that must have been a huge leap. And it really was not. Um, So it was not as different as you would have thought. So just being able to blend the two careers together, and um, it's not quite as big of a jump as what it was. But leaving a career that I was so deeply passionate about, um, I lived and breathed and blood, sweat and tears in education was uh, a death to me. It was a death to my spirit and my passions. But, you know, life comes out of uh, out of things like that all the time. And so um, while my chapter and my book goes on, that chapter is gone, um, put to rest. But it still is a part of me and it's something that I carry on. So that was actually really healing for me is to be able to use my passion. And it's just in a different way. I love to hear that. And we also talked about horses, too, so... Honestly, what a great all-around episode that we had there. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Let's do it again. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here is our episode with Cassandra Cordes. Okay, so earlier we talked about this connection between adults and children and how we can at times kind of treat adults like kids because we do all crave that praise, even still in the workplace, And I think something to note is that education systems are standardized. They're required to have that PBIS. They have to implement that. Whereas workplaces, it's kind of a free for all. They can do whatever they want. They don't have to have these recognition programs or anything of the sort if they don't want to. Um, 
So why would we stop harnessing the power of recognition in the workplace? I think that that is an excellent question. Um, why wouldn't we, right? This is ba- These are basic principles of psychology that are age old. Um, it's nothing really new that I have mentioned it. Uh, but I guess a difference too, if you break down, okay, kids are different than adults, right? You're, you're herding cats in schools um, after someone that's worked in the school system. Uh, you're training humans to be productive members of society. So why, why don't we carry that into said society, right? Well, Maslow's hierarchy of need applies differently to kids, right? They don't have, they're not seeking out that financial security. Um, They don't have the stress of bills of any of that. But at the end of the day, what do they want that was very similar in the analogy with the workplace impact is that they have self-actualization needs as well. So they want to accomplish things. They want to be praised and I think just being their younger minds, their brains not fully developed, it's easier for kids to buy into that too. Um, so when people don't get a re- enough recognition, what they ask themselves is, what am I doing this for? Nobody cares. Um, so a lot of times I think managers do try to do, or leadership, they do try to implement a lot of it. But what do they go to? They go to, okay, employee of the month, which ironically sounds a lot like student of the month or star student, you know, except for the difference is with kids, it's just everybody gets a turn to talk about themselves. Um, And it's really just because they're going to talk about themselves nonstop anyway. So just give them a spotlight and then move on to the next one. No, that was a little cynical. But (laughs) um, a lot of those same principles don't translate quite the same into the workplace as well as we would like. So for example, employee of the month, very, very common practice that a lot of companies are doing. Well, the praise, going back to the carrots, needs to be given when the recognition is warranted. So that feedback, that's what also drives kids and drives growth and behavior change with kids. We don't think about changing behavior in adults, right? We think about, well, let them do what they do and and work around that. Um, but praise, going into a bit about praise, uh, feedback needs to be given soon, right, Um, to make that connection and make those neural pathways. But that's why a lot of times the employee of the month from the student of the month, um, those programs actually don't stimulate better performance. So oftentimes one of two things happens. Uh, The same handful of stars get their picture on the wall month after month. We've seen that in movies, um, the same person or SpongeBob SquarePants has been fry cook of the month for the last 300 months or whatever. Um, Or on the other hand, well-meaning efforts could then turn into a game of whose turn is it this month, which is kind of like the star student, right? If everyone wins, if you're just taking turns, oh, we can't give it to Neely because Neely won last month. Um, that's then turned into if everyone wins, nobody wins. So this then breeds a lot of resentment and cynicism in the workplace. Okay, Kaylee, another first for the podcast. Our first international guest. Yes. Heather Hansen talking about accent bias. We were up so freaking early in the morning. This was so early. Seven in the morning, but then to prep and everything. I don't know. I couldn't sleep the night before. Yeah. It was like Disney. Um, I was looking forward to this so much. Um, 
this, I think to me, um, was the most enlightening conversation because she was bringing up stuff that completely made sense that I had obviously tucked away into a blind spot that I had not considered because it's not something that affects me personally. So of any of the conversations we had had in the first 50 episodes, I think this one is the most like you have to bring it out and put it right in front of you to be intentionally aware of this as an issue uh, and, and not fall into that trap of, you know, thinking everything is fine and like leveraging that privilege of not being concerned about accent bias. Yeah, I actually completely agree with you. I remember during that conversation thinking this is so obvious, but I didn't think about it because it is a subconscious bias. And I know that I have been subject to that bias before, but it was very enlightening. And I loved all the different stories she had to share from her own personal experiences with bias and even um, people coming to her for advice. So it was a very great conversation. Yeah. So despite the early hour, this is definitely one of my top conversations. So here is Heather Hansen. So Heather, this accent bias that we're covering here, I think some of the burning questions that we have for our leaders out there are, one, how is this affecting their hiring decisions, whether it's conscious or unconscious? They might be making hiring decisions based off of what they're familiar with. Um, And also, how is this affecting leaders that are already in the workplace and their progression forward? Oh, those are really great questions, both of them. And we have the research to back up the fact that it is affecting hiring decisions, which already is very scary, that someone can enter that interview and you as the hiring manager, as you said, it could be conscious or unconscious, but it's typically unconscious. Most people do not have any idea that this is happening, but the person will sit in front of them and they'll be thinking, oh, I don't know. This person's hard to understand. I can't understand them. Can they really represent the company? Uh, I'm not sure they'd be a good representative. And uh, are they going to fit into our culture? And it's all based on the way the person speaks. They might be thinking mm, they don't sound very educated or, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a foreign accent either. If you think about just within the United States, if I mention a Southern accent, or how about Boston or New Jersey or New York or the California Valley girl, I can name all these different types of speech. And I can pretty much guarantee that everyone listening gets an immediate impression in their minds of what that type of person is like, right? Like we have our Southern Belle and she's super friendly and sweet, but not so smart, right? And New Jersey is like a bunch of gangsters and we know them from all the films and it's dangerous and it's, but it's cool. It could be Joey from Friends, right? That's what we know if we haven't had real contact. And so we have all these stereotypes and biases and they do come out in situations like a hiring decision. They absolutely are there underneath the surface. And it's funny because you could never leave an interview and say, mm, you know, I don't think that an Indian or a Mexican should be representing the company to our clients. But you can sit there in the interview and say, you know, that Spanish accent was just so heavy or that Indian accent, he's just too difficult to understand. And somehow that's acceptable. And that's the problem that we think that that's okay to talk about, but you would never dream of discriminating based on ethnicity or race or gender, uh, but an accent is still acceptable. And that's what's scary. And we see that also as we move up the ranks as well. It's a great point, Heather. And, and it's especially with it being subconscious, almost subliminal 
uh, it's also immediate, right? So as mm-hmm. soon as you hear this person speak, now you've set that. And now that is the frame in which you are going to consider this person, how you're asking your questions, how you're evaluating their answers. So this is a a huge blind spot and a potential for people, especially in HR that are out recruiting um, to check this. Uh, Are there any other, you know, best practices or or tips sort of in the moments as we're entering, you know, a a recruiting environment that is highly competitive, you know, what are the tips for someone who is a recruiter and how to um, address this right off the bat? Well, you know, We also are very aware of the fact, and there have been these studies where people send in resumes and they change the name, right? And this is something that's a bit similar. We've all heard of those studies. I think anyone who's in HR in hiring, you'd be aware of this, that you can get the CV and if you change it from some kind of ethnic name to John Smith, and even from a female name to a male name, it will typically get a better response than an ethnic name, a female name. So we know that's happening. Now, what we're seeing and what we're more aware of is the fact that we're doing the same thing with the accent. So raising awareness, first of all, that this is an issue is the first step. So if you're going into that hiring position, just as you very purposely focus on not making judgments around the name on that CV or resume, you have to also very purposely focus on not judging someone based on the way that they sound. And you might think, well, I don't do that, but you do, you do, we all do. Um, And it's from birth. It's from such a young age. We have some recent studies out of Canada that have been able to show that it's as young as five years old, that kids can not only distinguish between the accents, they do that much earlier, but actually have preference about accents. So these kids that were five listened to different people speaking different accents of English, and they were asked, which one do you want to have as your teacher? And then more importantly, they were asked, which one do you think is the best teacher? And they would always choose the teacher who had the same accent as themselves or the one that they felt was the prestige variety. Because even in America, we've seen kids as young as nine show preference for the Northern accent over a Southern accent, even the Southern kids. They've already learned there's something that's not so good about the way I talk and something that's better about those kids from Michigan, for example. So, so this is happening from a very young age. It's very deep seated. Think about the Disney films you grew up with. I was raised on, you know, Indiana Jones and Die Hard. And who were all the bad guys? Who are the villains? They aren't the American hero voice. They're German, Russian. They're foreign. They're other. They sound different. They sound scary. And we know that from from a very young age, that if someone doesn't sound like primarily our mother, who we heard inside the womb, we know that, that they are other and they could be a danger. And we carry that all the way through into that hiring room, into even those um, performance reviews. And when we're looking at promotions and how that holds people back. And those are the people who I get in my office who are sent by HR saying, I'm not sure we can move him up to C-suite, Heather. You know, What do you think you can do with him? His executive presence or his communication skills, which is all code word for, we don't really like the way he talks. Can you fix it? And my argument would be, it's nothing that needs to be fixed. We need to be more open-minded and accepting of these incredibly talented people who have risen to the tops of our organizations. And we are holding them back because we don't like the way they sound. That just doesn't make sense to me. Hey. Hi, Dad. How are you? Good. How are you? 
Good. I'm actually, if you have a second, sorry to call you in the middle of the workday, but I'm in the podcast recording studio right now. Um, okay. If you have a second, I just wanted to ask your, I wanted to get your reaction to recording the episode with me live. So this is a live reaction. Um, I just wanted to hear how it was doing that with me and how it's been received by other people. You mean the recording that we did, you and I? Yeah, yeah, the episode we did together. Oh, well, you know, I left there. Uh, I was already really proud of you, but I left there with even more pride because, you know, the importance and the value uh, and the understanding you have of what that means for people uh, and the importance that means for getting results and keeping an engaged team, you know, really just stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. And and it also, what also jumped out at me is uh, it seems to be the culture of your company, which is always good because I think that's that's where people aspire to be. They want to work for companies that, you know, understand the value of people and take care of their people. And it's been amazing because I've had a lot of people via LinkedIn or, you know, either internal to the company or people from outside the company that said, hey, saw the, listen to the podcast with you and uh, your daughter Kaylee and was really impressed and the message really resonated. And, you know, it's going to be helpful for me to be thinking about a few of the things you said that I haven't really considered before. So, yeah, it's been been fun. Oh, thank you so much. And it was it was my favorite episode for sure. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Oh, my goodness. That was probably the cutest thing (laughs) I have ever heard. Not only is John Savona a great podcast guest, a great leader at Ford Motor Company, but also like top notch dad. I know, right? I mean, I was kind of awkward. I don't think I felt weird like calling him and recording it. To be expected. But to be expected. But it was really, it was a really sweet response. So I'm glad I could catch him. That's so good. So we got his reaction. What What's your reaction to that episode, talking to your father? Yeah, I mean, I think I probably reacted when we first bantered about this episode, but he really is a role model in my life personally as a dad, but also professionally just because of his backstory and what he's done and throughout all of it, um, the values that he has always upheld are just, I think it's stuff that I strive to reach someday, whether or not I become a leader one day. I hope to have some of those same principles. So it was really special. It's awesome. And like, it was kind of during the holiday season. So we're kind of in that family mm-hmm. mode and just all the great warm and fuzzy feelings. So, okay. Here is the Leadership Fast Lane with John Savona. So, with all that being said, this is probably a, a I'm going to try to make it a deep question. I don't know if you're going to give me a deep answer or not. Um, <laughs> So beyond just like the role of VP of manufacturing for Americas, like what has John Savona learned about the world throughout your career and being exposed to these different cultures um, and people and, and approaches and perspectives that people are bringing um, sometimes into their workplace? I, I'm assuming there's lots of social interactions outside of the workplace in which you're getting to know those folks as well. So, you know, how's your worldview changed over the last 15, 20 years? Wow, that is a that's a great question. Um, you know, I I uh, I think it starts with my core beliefs and values given to me by my parents. Um, you know, I was always taught that if you're if you're fair and you treat people with respect, that people will respond. That's mostly true. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, I don't know, maybe people are bored or they just don't want to put the work in, and they cause you know an extraordinary amount of work for you. 
Uh, but I've always approached every team. Um, if I come into a new job or a new area, I assume I have the right people in place. And I'd like to think that uh, I'm going to be able to get the most you know, out of, out of my team. I think people come to work every day wanting to do the, the right thing. They, they're working really hard. And certainly what the COVID situation taught us is that, you know, I'm a little biased, but the manufacturing team, when, when everything was shut down, you know, I was in one of our facilities when I talked to our uh, COO and our president and said, we're going to have to shut our facilities down. And we paused. And then when we came back up, we had a playbook on how to handle, you know, the virus and bring our people back to work safely. But there were still a lot of unknowns and our people agreed to build face masks. Uh, they were building ventilators, respirators, and uh, our people have never had an opportunity to work hybrid or work from home. And so the amount of respect uh, and appreciation I have for our workforce significantly grew, I would say, through COVID uh, because it's a tough environment and our people really showed how resilient they are and uh, you know how much they care about the company. Kaylee, that was a lot. Mm-hmm. But like, not... A lot. I don't know. It's been a year, but has it been? I, I agree with all the conflicting feelings. And yeah. I, like, I'm sure, like, listening to this now, it's like, okay, it's been like over an hour. Like, why are we still talking about this? <laughs> but, you know, I, um, you know, my reflective thought on 2022, and I guess a little bit into 23, let me see that. I guess my reflection on the first 50 episodes, it's probably insignificant to the majority of people that are listening, but like, this is a crazy time to be at work and especially if your job is related to work. So like HR and people leaders are facing things they've probably never had to face before and to be part of the conversation around that, to be observing that, to be bringing people's perspectives to that conversation, I think it's not only like fulfilling for me to be talking about that, but it's also like, it stacks on top of curiosity. Like we start pulling a thread and like other threads come undone. And um, it's just so exciting. And the energy that you hear from people that listen and like, oh my goodness, like I would have wanted to ask them this question and that question. Like, so I, I think we got something here. I think mm -hmm. we got, you know, there's interest in this, in these conversations. And I guess what I would be looking forward to in this next year is that, you know, I want to check in with some people that we talked with last year because those are really interesting people that had really interesting stories. And we're trying to do something, you know, really great. So let's check in with them. But I also want to make make new friends. Let's talk to other people. Let's uh, you know grow the community on LinkedIn. Let's learn more about what is destined to come as the next new hot trend in HR. So hopefully the next 50 will be all that and more. 100% agree with all that. There's so much we have talked about and so much we can talk about. I remember thinking, how are we going to come up with new things to talk about mm -hmm. every week? How are we going to find these new guests? But there's always something new and there's always new questions to ask about a certain topic. So that's been really cool. And I know they kind of say it takes a hundred episodes to gain traction, really true traction on a podcast. But I'd like to think that our 50 episodes have had an impact with our little following of listeners. So thank you to everyone who yeah, listens to us. For sure. Thank you all. And hopefully you realize that a key element of gratitude is reflection. So it is important sometimes to take a second or an hour and a half <laughs> to look back on the things that you've accomplished and like be grateful for the chance to do that. 
and then for the opportunity to keep it going. So here's to keeping it going. Heck yeah. Thanks for joining us today. And special thanks to The Fracture and Jay Matthews for their original music. Stay tuned for more episodes coming out every week that will touch on the topics that are important to HR and people leaders like you. If you have any recommendations or feedback, or if you are looking to partner on creating a more engaging recognition program, you can contact us at podcast at recognition.com. And as always, thank you. <laughs>